Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Welcome back to Compliance Beat podcast. I'm Eric Moorhead. I am so pleased to be relaunching the podcast after uh, a uh, hiatus, uh, if you want to call it, uh, like many of you, uh, the last year has uh, provided challenges, although we have made it to the other side, uh, I think for the most part. Uh, myself and my family uh, fared well. I hope the same is true for you and yours. Um, but I'm glad that we can have this space again to talk about ethics and compliance. And obviously the thing that is most on my mind in restarting today are the changes that we've seen in, since um, I was last doing this podcast regularly. Uh, the changes over the last few months, I think, are profound. Um, uh, but there are also things uh, with regards to uh, compliance and ethics and the expectations around integrity at organizations that I don't think have changed uh, that are worth mentioning, too. So. Today's topic is three things that are different and three things that have changed over the last year. And let's start with uh, by talking about those things that have remained the same. Um, the first and foremost, and this is something that um, has come up uh, frequently in discussions uh, with clients and others about expectations, is that the rules still apply even if the way people have been working over the last year and maybe continue to work in the future uh, for those that are going to be working remotely. Uh, the rules still apply. The code still applies. Our policies still apply. We may need to adapt uh, both our written standards and our monit monitoring and our training and our uh, the other aspects of our program uh, to a, a new world, at least a new world for, for our organizations if we hadn't previously, uh, for instance, had a lot of remote workers. but. Uh, one thing that's been really important uh, and that I think has been a, um, a beneficial for organizations that have had strong messaging around this is that the rules still apply. Hey, we're still here. We're still here. We still have a code of conduct. The code of conduct still applies. And while it's pretty hard to um, uh, harass somebody face-to-face, uh, -face, it's still possible to harass somebody online. It's still possible uh, to engage in uh, behavior uh, and misconduct online or, or remotely. And we need to keep that in mind. The rules still apply. Uh, that's an important um, uh, thing, to, message that needs to be um, resonating with people, particularly for uh, parts of the organization that maybe aren't going back to the office or, the, or, or are going to remain remote or are going to remain uh, having a different uh, relationship uh, to the organization and to their work, uh, even on the other side of the pandemic. Uh, related to that, a second thing that is really important is compliance is still important. Compliance still matters. Uh, just because we are in a crisis or, or coming out the hopefully coming out the other end of a crisis doesn't mean that enforcement has gone away. Doesn't mean that uh, regulators uh, don't expect you uh, to uh, follow the law and follow uh, regulation. Now, 
certain regulations and certain um, rules have been suspended or modified, but uh, you know, fraud is still against the law. <laughs> uh, uh, harassing uh, 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 employees is, is still uh, not acceptable. There are certain things, uh, many things, uh, compliance act, uh, expectations that remain in place. And as related with the first point about the rules being uh, uh, still being still applying, uh, compliance and having an effective compliance program and training people and providing uh, those written standards and, and uh, resources for them to understand what the expectations are and monitoring behavior. Uh, even though you may be monitoring, monitor, monitoring behavior very differently uh, for certain populations that are now remote that weren't before. Um, all of those aspects, all of the, the, the hallmarks of an effective program remain important today and have remained important for the last year and will remain important whatever the, the, the state of the organization is moving forward. Um, I think that what I'm finding with most clients that there's going to be some sort of hybrid uh, that maybe um, you know s some number of, of, of individuals will be going back into the office or back into the facilities um, by necessity, uh, but some may not. That this change uh, is, is perhaps um, uh, permanent in some aspects. There's going to be a hybrid here. And so um, compliance remains important. Uh, the, 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 the regulators, um, both state and federal and international uh, regulators, have not gone away. Um, they are adapting in the same way that uh, organizations are adapting. And so there might, uh, you, you might feel that there's not uh, that presence that there was in the past if you're in a highly regulated space, um, but, but it's there. And, and the, the, even if um, this last year has met um, less, less uh, scrutiny on certain aspects of the operation, that will not remain the case, and you can count on that. And then the third thing that has not changed uh, is budget. <laughs> a very practical thing. What I've found is that uh, the, the um, sort of uh, chapter and verse of, of budget over the last 12 or 15 years that I've been uh, dealing with organizations as an outside um, consultant, it remains the same. Uh, budgets are tight and they've been tight and they're going to continue to be tight. Uh, compliance and ethics is not a revenue generating uh, aspect of an organization and, and any uh, part of an organization that's not uh, generating revenue is under budget scrutiny at all times and that's just going to remain the case. Um, and that presents some challenges uh, if you have uh, a new reality to deal with, if your um, organization has changed or is this hybrid uh, that I was just speaking of moving into the future, uh, that there's going to uh, be um, challenges that will require resources that perhaps um, you just don't have in your budget. And that is not going to change. I don't see any um, uh, expectation uh, there that, that uh, uh, most organizations feel that that, that that is going to remain the case, that there's going to be budget pressure. Um, even if we have a strong recovery, uh, we know from the past that, uh, you know, even though, uh, you know, say from 2008 on, 
uh, even through that recovery, uh, budgets for compliance and ethics remained uh, tight. And I think that that is something that we can expect will remain the case moving forward. So now for the three things, three areas that I feel have changed. Um, I think uh, many of you are going to agree with some of these. Some of them are pretty obvious uh, and, and are not going to go back, are not going to um, uh, resolve back to the way things used to be. Uh, the first is the most obvious one, and that is remote working. I have myself have been a remote worker for all oh, about 10 years now. And I uh, have adapted <laughs> as much as you as, as much as I think I'm going to, uh, to to being a remote worker. Uh, you have many people who have become uh, remote workers, whether they wanted to or not over the last year that are also going to remain remote workers. Uh, I don't know if anybody has a real sense just yet what the percentages are going to be when this all shakes out. You know, if we come back, you know, say a year from today in the middle of 2022, and hopefully we are on the back end of uh, these uh, remaining uh, coronavirus uh, outbreaks and everybody's that's going to be immunized is, has been immunized. Uh, if we're looking back not in the summer of 2021, but in the summer of 2022, I think we'll have a better idea of the permanence of the percentage of the workforce that's going to remain um, remote. And, and I've seen different data on this from other organizations. Uh, Upwork uh, released a survey, I want to say, uh, a while back, like the end of 2020. And I haven't, um, I've seen some other data since then. Uh, but generally speaking, I think the expectation is that the percentage of people who are going to be permanently uh, working remote uh, is anywhere from uh, a 50% increase from what it used to be prior to the pandemic, which was about 10 to 12% of the, of the work working population, uh, to maybe uh, uh, doubling. Uh, so we might be talking about you know a fifth or perhaps even a quarter of the workforce working remotely. Um, uh, right now, uh, it, it, uh, I think that it's dwindled from the high point when it was well over 50%. Um, I see, again, various statistics out there that it's trending around you know, 30 to 40% uh, still working at least partially remotely at this point. So whatever the result is i think that you as a compliance professional responsible for a program at an organization where you have um, at least part of your workforce remote need to expect that that uh, percentage is going to remain at least higher for most organizations than it was before perhaps double you know something like that and you're going to be dealing with partners and subcontractors and uh uh, uh, customers and, and, and other third parties who um, are working remotely and you may are depending on the relationship may have some responsibility for those individuals as well so that uh, is going to remain a, uh, a characteristic of compliance programs from now until forever <laughs> Uh, that a, a much larger percentage of, for most organizations uh, of, of their workforce is not coming back in the same way. And so you have to train, you have to communicate, you have to monitor, 
uh, you have to provide resources to those individuals in a remote capacity um, and, and, and provision for that and have resources for that, uh, understanding that that is not going to go away, that this isn't a temporary situation. Um, the second uh, change uh, that I think is really important is the expectations of those workers, both the remote workers and workers who uh, whose responsibilities can't be done remotely. Um, there's been a lot of uh, discussion in the media about this, particularly in the last couple months, as we've seen um, the uh, jobless numbers stay uh, more consistently up than what was the expectation, and we see a lot of unfilled positions. Uh, one statistic that I saw from Deloitte not too long ago is that over 70% of manufacturers in the United States, uh, and this was just in the United States, I believe, um, are, are report that they have unfilled positions. So well over three quarters of uh, manufacturers out there are looking for people. Um, in the restaurant and hospitality business, I know that number is very high right now as well. And one of the reasons that it's, it's postulated that this is the case, and, and there's some, some data to back that up, although it's going to develop again over the next year, I think we'll have a better picture, is that the expectation of this um, employee pool is the expectations that they have for pay, uh, and benefits and uh, working conditions uh, are changing and their, their expectations are higher <laughs> than perhaps in the past. For example, in the hospitality industry, uh, more and more restaurants, I, I've read recently in a couple of different um, uh, articles, uh, that there is a, a trend out there for uh, restaurants to move away from the tipping model uh, so that they can offer a guaranteed uh, wage for those uh, wait staff and others who uh, traditionally have been tipped employees. Um, you know, organizations are having to make adjustments to attract workers to get them in the door, to get them in these positions to start with. That's not going to change. That's not going to change. And part of it is generational. And we've talked about this before in this podcast. And, um, and there's more social science that's been coming out in the last few years about this is that uh, millennials and, and those in uh, now Gen Z and, and, and following behind millennials have different expectations about work and about work-life balance and about um, uh, what is provided by employers uh, than perhaps people in my generation, um, uh, Gen X, and, and certainly in the older generation. Uh, so this has changed, and this crisis of the last year has intensified this change. It's pretty clear uh, again, we don't have all the data yet, but we can see by uh, the um, uh, uh, the expectations that uh, workers are expressing and not willing to go back uh, and take on certain roles um, that that they have different expectations, and that has to be factored into compliance as well as everything else. And then a third thing that has changed, um, and that I've seen this over and over again. Um, with organizations is uh, this was a real test for your crisis plan. <laughs> and I think it's fair to say that many organizations uh, were not pleased with uh, the at least the initial 
response uh, and and the, the efficacy, if you will, of their crisis plan. This was the this was the dry run, uh, 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 you know, times one thousand, uh, and it uh, it really tested so you know pretty much every organization. It tested my small organization, uh, and and the crisis plan that you may or may not have had in place. Uh, was tested as well and I think that for most organizations that crisis plan came up wanting. It was too complex, uh, was not, uh, uh, it was not nimble enough to adapt to a crisis that is probably very different from the crisis that was in, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to make broad uh, generalizations but I think for the most part when crisis plans were put together say five years ago they were around weather events. They were around events that were going to be severe but perhaps localized, and that we're going to have um, uh, a time scale that was much shorter than a year or longer. I mean, we're not really out of this yet completely. And so uh, what I think most organizations found out is that they really didn't have a flexible um, a crisis plan. Their crisis plan uh, didn't really anticipate 100% uh, remote working, for example. Uh, for, for organizations that were able to do that. It didn't anticipate um, the social distancing and other uh, safety factors that would be necessary to operate uh, in retail or operate manufacturing, etc. The, 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 the crisis plans just weren't flexible for that. And I, 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 this isn't true for all organizations, but several organizations I've spoken to over the last year basically scrapped their program. And said, "Look, we're going to have to take a blank sheet of paper and and refigure this out." Um, and that included uh, uh, from from the top down, from you know what the command and control during a crisis would be, um, IT and technical issues, um, uh, HR, everything that goes into um, a crisis plan had to be rethought. And I think that that is, um, um, you know, the 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 length and um, disruption of this pandemic has been very significant. Um, but um, I think if there's a silver lining in crisis planning, is it really caused organizations to think outside the box and be creative about what their crisis plans would be moving forward because um, what they had ready to go just didn't work um, or had to be modified uh, on the fly significantly. That's not true for everybody. I, I, know, I, I know some organizations, I uh, felt like they were pretty successful and in, in nimble in getting uh, operations back up and going. And, and everybody worked really hard to get that done in, in, in almost every organization. Uh, but but uh, the plans themselves, for the most part, for organizations I've talked to, both large and small, uh, were, not, um, were not sufficient. So those are three things that I think are going to remain the same and uh, three things, uh, we talked about three chain, kind of broad changes. All of these probably merit um, their own podcast, but as I mentioned at the top, um, I just wanted to talk about broadly some, some things we've seen, but I've got um, you know uh, a lot of things to talk about with regards to these changes and with regards to the expectations that remain the same. Um, also, uh, our friends in uh, our, our regulator friends have not been quiet. There has been an update uh, 
since we last spoke uh, to some of the guidance out there, and we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks, um, the expectations remain. Uh, the changes and that have happened and the changes that we're still going to have to go through, uh, we still face. Um, but I think for the most part, I have to say, uh, clients I've talked to have been particularly happy uh, with their uh, the way management has handled uh, compliance and, and provided compliance, the platform and resources necessary to, to weather this storm. That's not true 100%, obviously, but, but for, most, for the most part, people have made it through uh, to this point. But, but um, we're not done. Uh, and uh, some of these changes are permanent, and we have to uh, adapt to that and, and, move, and put that in our model as we move forward. So until next time, thank you so much for joining me, uh, and, and uh, we'll be back next week with another Compliance Beat. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.